see what I'm talking about before the night's over. All right, I guess. Uh, yes, Cliff, you had a question? Well, you ask if there's somebody had something to say, and I thought of something afterwards. Okay, okay. What? I was in a group of men last night, there were six of us, and the subject was go around, and he was going around in, in the room, and he said, tell the rest of us something good about yourself. I mean, is this the Christian men's group or? At church. Oh, what church? Okay. At, at, at that church. And four of them couldn't think of anything good about themselves. Wow. There's only two of us that could verbally say what was good about us and our lives. Wow. And so what you're talking about, if we ain't got it, we better get it. Yeah, I guarantee. Now, this, this was that. These were born again Christians, some of them spoke in tongues, and all this other stuff. Wow. Well, let me tell you, if you're a born-again Christian, you can't think about something good in your life. Well, you need to, you need to do some serious examining right now. Praise ye the Lord. Yes, Deborah? I mean, they used to have meetings, 50, 60, 70,000 men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you're telling me this thing's falling apart? You know, it's amazing how you really, time always proves who the true Christians really are. Mm-hmm. Time proves. Okay. Praise the Lord. Phil, are we ready? Okay, we're ready. We'll hit record on everything, and we'll start on Tuesday night Bible study, the 21st of March, 2006. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for this evening and the opportunity to come and to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to look at your word and see what you said and see what you require of us so we can do what you say so we can truly be your children. Because you said in your word, your children hear your voice and they obey you. So, Father, help us tonight to hear your voice and obey what you say so we can be those obedient children that will do exactly what you tell us to do. So, Father, thank you for the evening. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God that we have the privilege to come and study 
And thank you for giving us all revelation and wisdom and knowledge and understanding from your word. So when we leave here tonight, we will be different people. It will be better people because of the word. Thank you, Father, for doing all these wonderful things you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, thank you for healing Cliff. In the name of Jesus. Yes, praise the Lord. Come in, ladies. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just getting ready to get started. We're going to start off in Deuteronomy 11 tonight. And we're going to hit a few scriptures in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 11, the blessings of obedience. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea. Now, I'm going to, I've pulled all these uh, out of the uh, new NLT. So they may be a little bit different than the King James. Most of the time I teach out of the King James. But today, when I pulled up all these teachings, I pulled them all off of the NLT. And so everything's the New Living Translation. But uh, Deuteronomy 11, the blessings of obedience. Now then, praise the Lord. Come in, young lady. Now then, there is all the way through the Scripture, this is something we really need to get a hold of. That Old Testament or New Testament, it makes no difference. There's blessings for obedience. You know, God has never changed. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And He blesses us when we obey, and we're not quite so fortunate when we disobey. Because there is consequences whenever we disobey. But we're going to start out and look at the blessings of obedience. And everybody likes to think about blessings. We all want to be blessed. But in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 8, he says, Therefore, be careful to obey every command I am giving you today. Now, you notice how many commands are we supposed to obey? Every one of them. That's exactly right. Now, what if you don't know them? What if you don't read the Bible? Then you don't know what the commands are. So I can assure you that if you don't read the Word of God, you'll not be able to obey all of the commands of God Because you won't know what they are. You have to read the book. Therefore, be careful to obey every command I'm giving you today, so you may have strength to go in and occupy the land you're about to enter. In other words, without obedience, we don't have strength. I mean, we we get uh, down to where we don't have any strength. We don't know the Word. We don't quote the Word. The Word says, the Lord is my strength. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. As you and I daily confess the Word, we overcome the forces of darkness that are here to destroy our flesh. So if you don't know what to confess, you will naturally confess the wrong thing. I mean, I think about what people say. You know, I mean, I hear people all the time. People that say they're Christians making the wrong confession. Saying, you know, uh, wow, It's amazing. Here you are, 60 years old. You've lived longer than you should have already. You should have already been dead. I hear Christian people talking like that. You know, it's amazing how we say the wrong things. Or, you know, we say, well, you know, uh, I guess I'll probably get killed in a car wreck one day. I mean, I I hear Christians talking like this. I mean, have you ever heard it? Sure. I mean, we, we make these negative comments. In fact... I remember a man, which I will not give his name, because many of you would know who he was, but I remember a man a few years ago with a TV camera shining right on him, 
told, said something, what do you think about a certain, certain person? And he said, I had rather die than see that man put in office. And this was a preacher. And he said that on television. The cameras were there. And whenever he said, and he's fixing to get in his airplane, and there was four men with him, and they were all going to go up to the north somewhere. And that man turned and said, I had rather die than see that man put in office. And that man, that day, that man and those four men were killed in that airplane. Yeah. It's amazing. You better be careful what you say. You know, because, I mean, we just don't realize that, we don't realize that life and death is in the power of your tongue. I mean, Proverbs 18:21. Jesus clearly told us that life and death is in the power of your tongue. And he says, every person shall eat the fruit of their tongue. So, that includes you. That includes me. So, when we say our tongue is our worst enemy, it can be your worst enemy, but it can also be your best friend. If your tongue speaks the word of God, then it's your best friend. You know, it can do great and wonderful things. Your body literally hears what you're saying with your tongue. And when you speak with your tongue, your body obeys. And it does what you say. In fact, James, the book of James clearly tells us that the perfect man learns to control his tongue. And when he learns to control his tongue, of course, the only way you can do that is by the Holy Spirit. But the man that learns to control his tongue will be able to control his whole body. That's what the Word says. So, if you say the wrong things, if you say, Oh, I am so old and so weak. Oh, I got a pain in my back this morning. I guess I probably won't be able to do anything today. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. You know, you're giving place to the enemy. So, be very careful to learn to obey every command the Lord gives you so that you may have strength to go in and occupy the land you're about to enter. If you obey, if you obey, you will enjoy a long life in the land. Now, how would you like to have a long life in the land? That sounds good to me too. Well, what's required? Obey. Now, what if we don't obey? God's no respecter of persons, is He? Nope. No, He don't care if it's you or me or whoever. I mean, he, that's one thing about God. He treats every one of us exactly the same. He holds every one of us accountable exactly the same. And He gives us the Word, and He don't care who you are. He does not have no favorites. He's not going to treat me one way and elder than another. You know, He's going to treat both of us exactly the same. But He's going to control us by our words. He says, if you obey, you will enjoy a long life in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors and to you and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land you are about to enter and occupy is not like the land of Egypt from where you came, where you planted your seed and dug out irrigation ditches with your foot as in a vegetable garden. It is a land of hills and valleys with plenty of rain, a land that the Lord your God cares for, and He watches over it day after day throughout the year. Now then, I've been to Egypt, and I know what it's like. It's still just like that in Egypt. Off the Nile, they still dig those ditches with their foot or with little shovels, and they got those little, uh, like a, yeah, paddle wheel-like deal that they use to dip water. 
out of the Nile, and they put it up in those little ditches, and they still irrigate their little tiny fields like that. They still do it today. But the land of Israel, when God brought them into it, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. And it was a land flowing with milk and honey until they sinned and got thrown out, and then it became an arid desert. And the Arabs had it for years, 2,000 years, and they couldn't do nothing with it. And then the Jews came back into the land in 1948. And when the Jews came back into the land today, that oasis over there is absolutely, magnificently wonderful. They raise thousands of flowers, and they produce fruit for about, I don't know, I think like a fourth of all Europe gets their vegetables and their fruit from Israel. And there is like two or three 747 loads of flowers a day leave Israel going to other places in Europe. I mean, they raise the stuff. It's an oasis. I mean, beautiful, uh, you know, a beautiful place. What happened? It's God's promised land to the Jews. And when the Jews are in the land, and He pours out His blessings upon them... And it's amazing how he's pouring out his blessings upon them now. And really, they're not very obedient people. So just think what he would do if they would really become those obedient people. This is what really astounds me. When God makes a covenant with somebody, he makes a promise. He remembers his covenant all the way back to Abraham. He said, I will bless you forever. And because of Abraham was obedient, because David was obedient, God is still blessing that land over there today. And he says... Verse 13 says, if you carefully obey all the commands I'm giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, and if you worship Him. I mean, there's some requirements in there. If you want God to bless you, you've got to obey Him. You've got to worship Him. And how many people do you know that do not obey God? That are Christians. How many of you that you know that don't even go to church? How many of them do you know that definitely don't worship Him? I mean, they wouldn't dare walk in worshiping the Lord. They're afraid they might, somebody might talk about them. Especially if they were to raise their hands and say, Lord, I love you. I praise you. Or get down on your knees in front of everybody and say, Lord, I want to tell you how much I love you and praise you and worship you. People say, look at that guy. Hey, I don't care what anybody else says to you. No, don't make me no difference at all. I want to worship and praise the king. I want to do what he tells me. I mean, I wake up in the morning. I mean, this morning I woke up. Cheryl and I went to bed extremely early this morning. We, I, me and Dave Rosenfeld was talking about stuff till about 3.15 this morning. And finally we got over to and went to bed about 3.30. So anyway, uh, I didn't wake up till about 9 o'clock. You know, so I woke up about 9 and I lay there and I talked to the Lord. And I'd set my alarm for 10 something, but I got up, pour it, went off and went in, took me a shower and everything. And of course, uh, uh, I left Cheryl in bed and she just slept. So she, we'd put a, we come in last night, it was cold. So she had bought this big, beautiful, thick thing over in uh, Germany when we were over there. And we put it inside of one of our big uh, covers on the bed last night. And that thing was, oh, it was thick and it was warm. And I'm telling you, I mean, she she got she said I've been cold last two or three nights. We're going to put this thing on the bed. I put that thing on the bed last night, and she was so warm. I got up and left this morning. She didn't even know I left. She slept till about two or three o'clock this afternoon. She woke up. She is so toasty. She did. She called me about the Middle East. She said, "Hey, I slept. I just now woke up." I said, "Wow." 
And she slept a long time. But she was so warm under there and it was so cool outside. She was just enjoying sleeping. It says, the Lord says, if you carefully obey, carefully obey, not flippantly obey, but if you carefully obey all the commands I'm giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, and if you worship Him, then He will send the rain in the proper season so you can harvest crops of grain, grapes for wine, and olives for oil. He will give you lush pasture land for your cattle to graze in, and you yourselves will have plenty to eat. I love all that. I mean, I love, but you see, there's a requirement for us to have all that. You know, that's kind of like sometimes you see people say, well, gee, you know, I'm going to go to college and I want to get out of college and then I want to go home and I want to sit down and I want to, you know, start my own business and I want to sleep till 10 every morning and then I want to get up, you know, and have breakfast and and then I want to go to the office about 11 and then I want to make a, maybe a couple of phone calls till 11.30 and then I want to take two hours off for lunch, you know, and then I want to come back and maybe talk to some of the people around the office and then I want to go home at 3.30, you know, and I want to make a million dollars this year. Hey, everybody would love to do that, but it usually don't work like that, does it? Usually it takes some dedication to get in there to make it. You know, you get up early, you work hard, you work long. And let me tell you, if you don't put God first, you're still never going to be prosperous and successful. But if you put God first in your business, He will bless your socks off. I mean, you can take, you can take two men, they come out of college, both of them with the same education. And both of them got the same drive. And both of them start the same kind of businesses. And one of them's a dedicated man of God. And God will bless that man. He'll bless his family. He'll bless everything he puts his hands to. And the other one may work twice as many hours. And he may do everything he can, but he's not putting God first. And his company will not prosper like the one that's serving God. God is the one that holds the purse strings. He's the one that blesses us. But so many people today don't know these promises. So they go out and strive and work and go to college and invest and do everything and never have anything. Never have nothing. They're sick and afflicted and everything else. And they don't know why. Well, the promises, the answer is in the book. He says in verse 26, in Deuteronomy 11:26, Today I am giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. Well, today, Paul told us that same thing in Romans 6, 16. He's giving you and me the choice today to serve either God or the devil. So God's never changed the way He does business. So I want you to look here in Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. He says, today I am giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. Well, I mean, which one do you want? A blessing or a curse? I want the blessing. Well, you can't have the blessing without being obedient. You've got to do what the king says. And one of the things he says is to love him with all your heart and soul and worship him. And, of course, he tells you to go to church. And he tells you to put him. First, he tells you to study his word. Today, I'm giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. You will be blessed if you obey. Now, this is, like I say, this is the NLT. 
It says, you will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. You will receive a curse if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn from His way by worshiping foreign gods. I mean, if there's anything I have noticed throughout my study of the Scripture, if there's anything God has never changed His mind on, it's obedience and disobedience. I mean, in the Old Testament, he told us over and over and over, if you obey me, I'll bless you. Well, let me tell you, under the New Covenant, he has never changed nothing he does. If you obey, I will bless you. If you disobey, I will curse you. I don't know how we missed this. I don't know how I missed it. I do not understand how we can read this book and not get this example that God is the one that blesses us or curses us. I just happened to think, too, uh, if you got a cell phone, I had not turned mine off, but I have now. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's uh, read on here. Let's go to, uh, in fact, I talked about this here a while back, but this was so good. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more about dealing with a rebellious child. Anybody in here ever know of anybody that has had a rebellious child? Maybe you've had one of your own. Well, I'm glad we don't do it like they did it then, but if we did, we'd probably have less rebellious children. But I want to show you what the Word says about how we're to deal with rebellious children under the law. Now, this is in Deuteronomy 21. In Deuteronomy 21, so we're not far from it, therefore we were in chapter 11... We're just going over to Deuteronomy 21, and this is dealing with a rebellious son, or a rebellious child. Today, today, you hear people that are doctors of theology tell you you'll warp your children if you spank them, so you don't spank your children. I mean, have we heard those kind of things in the last few years? Oh, yeah. Well, that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says that's the... Evil that's in your children. And he said, the rod of correction will drive the evil far from them. So if you don't do it God's way, you're going to continue to raise up rebellious children. And if you don't drive the devil out of them when they're little, when they get big, it's too late. You can't handle them then. you got to start early. Let me tell you, I started early with man. I mean, when they disobeyed, I got the rod out or the strap out, my belt out or whatever. And my children learn real early that dad meant what he said. I mean, I spoke softly, but I carried a big belt. You know, and after I told you about the second or third time, you either did what I told you or you got your little tail whipped. I didn't care if you was a girl or a boy in my house. If you disobeyed what daddy said, you got the strap across your backside. And... After about three or four times, they began to understand, hey, I meant what I said. And so after that, when I spoke, they did what I told them. No problem. So it worked extremely well. But in Deuteronomy 21, verse 18, I want to show you what God said to do to a rebellious son under the law. In Deuteronomy 21, 18, it says, Suppose a man has a stubborn, rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. In other words, they've spanked him, they've done what they're supposed to do, and he still does not obey them. 
In such cases, the father and the mother must take the son before the leaders of the town. Now, these are supposed to be godly leaders. This is not ungodly. And they must declare, this son of ours is stubborn and he's rebellious and he refuses to obey. He is a worthless drunkard. Now, today we would call them drug addicts and drunkards and everything else. They're downtown running around, sleeping around, drinking alcohol. They're uh, taking drugs and everything else. It says, he is a worthless drunkard. It says, then all the men of the town, not one or two, all the men of the town must stone him to death. That's kind of hard, isn't it, Susan? You know? I mean, Cliff, if you had a disobedient one, I mean, you'd have to wait till the last thing to take him down there, wouldn't you? Because you know he's going to be killed. And look what the Lord says do. In this way, you will cleanse this evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about it, and they will be afraid. Now then, all you got to do is start stoning a few of these young, rebellious children that say they can't get off of drugs, and they can't stop having sex out of wedlock, and they can't stop doing the thing. Kill a few of them. Stone, take them before the... And I'm going to guarantee some of them, you're going to find out they can change. Is that right? Well, would that, if you were if you were a disobedient child, Susan, and you noticed the next door neighbor got killed, and Mama said, "If you don't obey, you're going to be down there tomorrow." Would you change? I absolutely would. Change. <laughs> absolutely, Susan. Absolutely, I would change. Well, today we are so far behind the times. You can take somebody that kills someone. That murders somebody. I mean, even they'll kill a police officer. And sometimes they get off. You know, sometimes they get off. I'm going to tell you, I, it's one thing I could not be. And that's a police officer. Because, I mean, I, I have seen it many times. Some guy drunk, he's on drugs or he's wiped out. And you stop him. You're trying to just see why he's weaving or what. And the guy jumps out and starts beating up on you. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, I'm going to protect myself. And if all I got is a billy club or a gun on, and that guy ain't got nothing but his fist, and he comes at me, let me tell you, I'm going to put him on the ground. You know, I ain't going to play no games with this guy. And then you beat this guy up, and you put black and bruises, and only to knock him out. And then a couple of weeks later, when he's recovered, and he's standing before the judge, oh, he's this meek little guy. This police officer, he was so mean to me. And sometimes those kind of people get off. Yeah. Now then, they've got a little bit of protection. A lot of these police officers carry cameras in their cars. And they record it. So they see what's going on. And they know what these people are doing to you. But I couldn't be one of you. I mean, I couldn't. My hat's off to a police officer. Praise God for men that God's called to be a police officer. I'm glad He called me to be a preacher instead of a police officer. But it takes all of us to get the job done. But anyway, these rebellious sons in this day, if the mother and dad disciplined them and they did not continue to obey and listen and become obedient to mother and dad, and even though mother and dad had disciplined them and they couldn't handle them and they continued to go out and become drunkard and worthless, which today would be drugs and everything else, and they're out hanging around, they won't work, and they're just out messing around, it says... You are to take those before the elders of the city. 
And all the men of the city, once they check them out and find out they're telling the truth, they are to stone those boys until they're dead. It says, do this so all Israel will be afraid. I'm telling you, if we were to do a little bit of that today, we'd have a whole lot less people in prison, you know? A whole lot less people in prison. Well, unfortunately, uh, we don't do a very good job of uh, these kind of things. But in Deuteronomy 28, let's go to Deuteronomy 28, verse 58. Deuteronomy 28, 58. Now, Deuteronomy 28, the first 14 verses, is a summary of the Abrahamic covenant, the blessings. But starting with verse 15, it's a summary of the curses. But now the summary of the curses is much longer than the summary of the blessings. The blessings is only 14 verses. The curses is about 65 verses. But I want you to go to verse 20, I mean 58, Deuteronomy 28, 58. And I want you to see what this says. Deuteronomy 28, 58, at least in the NLT, it'll read similar to this in the King James or whatever translation you have. If you refuse to obey all the terms of this law that are written in this book, and if you do not fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God. Now, see, what if you don't, what if you don't uh, fear His name? What if you're out there taking the Lord's name in vain? You ever hear anybody today say, G.D. this? Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, they're taking that name in vain. You know, they're not reverencing that name. The Lord says that name, when it's taken in vain, is a sin that will not go unpunished. That's serious stuff. Now, but he says here, if you refuse to obey all the terms of this law that are written in this book, and if you do not fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God, then the Lord will overwhelm both you and your children. Ooh, what? I mean, this, this curse is not going to come up on just you. It's going to come up on you and your children. Isn't that awful? To think that your sin could be passed to your children? He says, and the Lord will overwhelm both you and your children with un- or indescribable plagues. These plagues will be intense and without relief, making you miserable and unbearably sick. I don't like none of that, do you? Well, see, praise God, we don't have to live there. I mean, you make a choice who you're going to serve. But he, he said, He will bring against you all the diseases of Egypt that you feared so much, and they will claim you. The Lord will bring against you every sickness and plague there is, even those not mentioned in this book, until you are destroyed. Does this sound like serious stuff? Why do you think so many people are sick and afflicted today? Because they don't obey God. Even as church people... God's children, when we disobey, He still gets the rod of correction after us. And that brings sickness and disease upon us. He says here, He says, Until you are destroyed, 
Though you are as numerous as the stars in the sky, few of you will be left because you would not listen to the Lord your God. Verse 63 says, Just as the Lord has found great pleasure in helping you to prosper and multiply, the Lord will find pleasure in destroying you until you disappear from the land you're about to enter and occupy. All because of your disobedience. That's not exactly the kind of stuff that the average Christian wants to look at, is it? You know? Well, how do we stop from being, how do we, how do we not be that way? We don't sin. We read the Word. We put Him first. We worship Him. And we praise Him. And when we do what He says, what do He say He'll do to us, brother? Bless us. He will, He gives the Lord great pleasure to bless His children that are obedient. I mean, when you have children, if your children are obedient and they do what you ask them to do, does it give you great pleasure to bless your children with good things? Of course. Yeah. Of course. You like to do good things for your children. You know. But then he says here in 1 Samuel 12. 1 Samuel 12. Now, if you will. Yeah, okay. I'll give you just a second to get to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is just a little bit further over to the right where we are in Deuteronomy. Just a few books over. You'll come over to 1 Samuel. And then we'll go to chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. 1 Samuel twelve fourteen. Now if, that word's used so many times. Now if you will fear and worship the Lord and listen to His voice. Let me ask you a question. How many of you besides me in here fears the Lord? I mean, He, he can just, I mean, I'm... I reverence him and I have a I have a very reverent fear of God. Because you know how you know if I were to disobey God, you know how easy it would be for him to just take me out? You know how how what, what do you have to do? Just that's all you have to do, isn't it, honey? Bam. Yeah. All you gotta do is take away your breath. I mean somebody says I mean I, I was thinking about we were talking about this on the way here tonight. When Cheryl and I was over in Ireland the other day, we saw these huge cranes where they made the Titanic. You know, they're still there. You know, that big giant thing, uh, Samson and uh, Goliath. The biggest cranes I've ever seen in my life. I mean, those monsters are humongous cranes that are sitting out there on the ocean where they built ships. And they built the Titanic right there with those two cranes. And then I think about this ship that was supposed to be that had one inch boiler plate. The, the whole ship was made out of, the hull was made out of one inch thick boiler plate steel. That's good quality steel. When they got through with that ship, it had seven compartments in it. Each individual compartment sealed and any two compartments could keep this ship afloat. So they said this ship for all seven compartments or at least for six of them, to be damaged and water flow in is just unthinkable. So this is the unsinkable ship, the Titanic. And so the captain, whenever they got ready to leave that very first maiden voyage, he stood up and said, God, you can't even sink this ship. You see anything wrong with what he did? The king says, oh yeah? You think I can't sink this measly little boat? 
this little tiny canoe that y'all have got down. You don't have a clue who I am. And that ship comes across the North Atlantic and hits an iceberg and an ice, piece of ice, rips at the very front, rips a hole in that ship all the way down the side, all the way to the back, and rips a hole in every compartment in that ship. You know what the chances of that happening from an iceberg would be? Probably one in a trillion. But it happened to the Titanic. And within a very few minutes, the Titanic is on the bottom of the ocean. Now just think, if they'd have got on their knees and said, Lord, we worship you for giving us the knowledge and the ability to build this magnificent boat. We dedicate this ship to you and for service under your kingdom forever. We are so grateful. Now then, Lord, we know that you're going to send your angels and give them charge of this boat, and we know this boat will be unsinkable. Nothing can touch this boat because we dedicate this ship to you and for your kingdom forever. In the name of Jesus. If they'd have done that, you know what that Titanic would still be making voyages across the North Atlantic today. It would be unsinkable because you dedicated it to God. But you have, you, we need to learn to have a reverent fear of God. If He can take an iceberg and rip a hole in a piece of one inch boiler steel from front to back of a ship and it sink, what do you think God can do? He can do anything. But He doesn't like disobedience, does He? He don't like somebody standing up and waving their fist, a mere little man saying, God, even you can't sink this boat. I can just see the king now. That'd be kind of like a little red ant walking up on the floor with me. And I looked down and he could talk. And he looks up at me and said, I'm fixing to bite you and I'm going to kill you. That would really scare me, wouldn't it, you, Deborah? I'd say, well, I never heard a red ant talk, but I, you're not going to talk after today. <laughs> Do you think my 180 pounds could mash him just a little bit, Susan? I think so, too. So, I mean, this is, it's just as absurd for us as people to make a statement like that to God. I mean, he's the king of the universe. And here we are, mere man, and we make statements like that to God. Give me a break. What you need to do is you need to have a reverent fear of the king. And you need to worship and praise the king. And you need to, when you, when you reverence him and you worship and praise him, of course, under the new covenant, under the new set of laws he gives under the New Testament, he says, if you'll do what I tell you, if you'll love me and you'll love your neighbors yourself, he said, then you can come and ask me for anything and I'll do it for you. I like that, don't you? Amen. I like to be able to come to the king. And ask him for anything. I mean, this precious lady sitting up on her front beside Eldon, she was telling me about her horse. She said, I had a horse that had a great big uh, abscess tooth or something, whatever it was, that was causing a problem. And she asked Eldon to come over to the house and pray for the horse. He went over and prayed for the horse, knowing the horse was all. The next day, the jaw was perfectly normal. See? Now, there's a man of God right there. You know, he, he prays in faith. He walks in obedience to the Word. He don't make none of them stupid statements, God. I'll do something. No, he said, Lord, I know you're my Lord and my God. 
and I worship you, and I read your word, and I'm doing everything I can to walk in obedience to your word. And whenever Eldon asks God for things, God hears and he answers. And that's not just the first one. He's done it with many things like that. He gets lots of his prayers answered. So praise the king. You know, that's why whenever we get an overflow of something out there, I send phone calls to Eldon. He calls, he calls these people back and he talks to them on the phone. And many of them get healed because he knows how to pray the prayer of faith. He's walking in obedience to God's Word. I am very selective about who I call to send prayer requests to. Because if you're not walking in obedience to God's Word, it ain't going to do no good for you to pray. He ain't going to do nothing for you, is he, Sharon? But whenever you start doing things right, he answers your prayers too, doesn't he? Yes, he does. But, you know, he, he's no respect to a person there either. So if we're willing to be obedient, to do what the king says, to read his word, to worship him and praise him, and put him first. Put him first in your work, in your life, in your mate, everything. Put God first in everything. When you do, then he says, come and ask me for anything and I'll do it for you. And I love that. I love to be able to ask the Lord for anything and him do it. But in 1 Samuel twelve fourteen. Now, if you will fear and worship the Lord and listen to His voice, fear and worship the Lord and listen to His voice. How do you hear God's voice? It's the written Word of God. I mean, you can hear God's voice anytime you want to, can't you? Sure. You open His Bible and start reading it. Read it out loud and therefore you get to hear His voice because that's God talking to you. Then He says, And if you do not rebel against the Lord's commands, and if you and your king follow the Lord your God, then all will be well. In other words, if you and your king, you and your government. And we've got a problem there today. That's why we need to diligently pray for those in government. If there's anybody I know that needs prayer, it's those boys and girls. They need prayer. They need us. We ought to be calling on the Lord. Lord, please move on the hearts of them people up there in our government office. We need help. Because if, if those people up there are here in the Dallas Fort Metroplex or local government or, you know, uh, uh, other government, whatever, if those people are not walking in obedience to God's Word, things are not going to go well with our country. Only when our men and women that are in governmental positions are obedient, does things go well with our country. So, we can look around right now and we can observe that we must not be pleasing the king too well. All you got to do is look. Has, has there been any kind of curse that you can think of in the last year hit anything in America anywhere, or has it all been blessings? You see any curses? I mean to tell you, we, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, along with the many other hundreds of square miles of land around here, this last year was the driest year almost we've had on record in a hundred years. I mean, it didn't rain for almost a year. Praise the Lord, it started a little right now. And I'm telling you, I'm praising the King for this rain. You know, I am definitely not grumbling and complaining because it's raining. And I'm getting mud on my feet or my driveway is muddy. Or no. Praise the Lord that it's muddy. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, my stock tanks out there at the farm were just a little puddle in the bottom. 
But today they're all running over, completely I'm praising the King. I mean, we got water. Praise the Lord, we got water. And I'm thanking the Lord that these lakes are going to fill up. We got lakes in the Metroplex where we get water for all these people. That some of them are 5, 10, 15, and 20 feet below levels. You know, hey, you, you can go a long time without a lot of stuff, but you can't go long without air and water. You know, if you don't have air and water, it gets bad quick. And so we need this air and water. Praise the Lord. So, and it's all, the reason we don't have it is because we don't obey God. I mean, all you got to do is, I know when you turn the television on, you don't ever see anything but really nice, good stuff. There's nobody that's uh, lying or stealing or no, no sexual immorality, no words of profanity, nothing like that on television, is there? Or it's not if you don't watch it. Yeah. I don't watch it. But I mean, all I got to do is turn it on and flip through a channel. And if you're not careful, you stay on a channel more than 10 or 15 seconds. You hear somebody use a word of profanity. It's amazing what is on there. I mean, it absolutely it's amazing what, how far we have sunk today. And then we wonder why all the devastation is coming upon us. Hey, I, I read the Bible. I know why it comes upon us. Because we're disobedient as a nation. Then it says here, it says, If you will follow the Lord your God, then all will be well. Verse 15, But if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to Him, then His hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon your ancestors. I don't know about you, but I don't like a heavy hand of God on me. I want to obey Him. But did you know that even though you and I may be obeying Him and everything we know because of the people around us, as well as our government, that's not obeying God, you know, that's why the heaviness is upon this nation. I mean, you, know, you can't. I mean, I remember whenever they put Bush in office and he asked that pastor to pray. And the guy prayed in the name of Jesus and closed that prayer in the name of Jesus. There was people come against him every way, form, or fashion. Isn't that amazing? You might offend somebody. Well, hey, if the name of Jesus offends you, then baby, be be offended. You know, because Jesus, I'd a whole lot rather offend you than God. I'm not afraid of you, but I'm afraid of God. You know, I mean, all you can do, you might say, you better be afraid of me because I'm going to bring 40 guys and we're going to beat you to a pup. Okay, come do it. But all you can do is kill my flesh. When I get killed, I get to go home to be with Jesus. But if I offend him, he can kill my soul and my body and put me into hell. And I ain't going there for nobody. So I'm afraid of the king. Guarantee. Aren't you? I guarantee I'm afraid of the king. I'm going to do what he says. But I am not afraid of man, you know, because I know all man can do is kill my body. But the king, whoo, he can really make things tough on you, and I don't want to go there at all. Now then, now in verse 16, he says, Now stand here and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. You know that it does not rain at this time of year during the wheat harvest. Now, this is a prophet, Samuel, that's fixing to do something. And it would be wonderful if we had men like that today. He says, I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today. 
And it says, then you will realize how wicked you have been in asking the Lord for a king. Now, I remember when a man of God that started, have anybody ever heard of the little city called Zion right next to Chicago, Illinois? You know, there was a gentleman that was, you've heard of that? Okay, you've been there. There was a great man of God named John Dowie that started that city. And when he started that city, it was a holy city. If you smoked or drank or anything, or you was not a Christian, you could not live in Zion. You had to be a born-again, spirit-filled believer to live in the little city of Zion. He didn't want no evil in his city. Some people thought he was crazy. And even in his last years, he even started wearing a costume like Elijah. And some people really, even the church, thought he was crazy. But he was one of the greatest men of faith that's ever walked on this earth in the last couple hundred years. One time he was out in California, and it hadn't rained in California for, I think, a year or something. And there was a, some kind of a drought. And he was preaching in a church. And somebody told him, If you're such a man of faith and you think God only hears your prayers and He don't hear the rest of our prayers, then why can't you pray and make it rain? They said it hadn't rained in whatever, a year or two years or whatever it was. He says, nobody will be able to get out the back door of this building before it's coming a torrential downpour. And when he said that, they heard thunder and lightning. They opened the back door and it was a flood falling out there right. As soon as John Day spoke it, it happened. What a man of God. I mean, a man that had served God. I mean, yeah, the world thought he was nuts. But if you serve God, the world's going to think you're crazy. You know, when you start doing everything God's way, that even the church is going to think you're a little bit on the loose side. So don't worry about it. You know, who could care less? You know, all you want to do is love them all. Walk in obedience to God's Word. Do what He says. And if they say, well, let's do this or do that, if it don't line up with the Word, you say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Well, we want to have, uh, we want to start in our church uh, a little uh, martial arts deal. And we want the kids to come on Tuesday night, not to Bible study, but we want to teach them how to do martial arts. Not in my church. They ain't going to do that in my church. That ain't going to happen. Now, you can go somewhere else and have it, but you ain't going to have it in my church. Because martial arts comes from the devil. It don't come from God. You show me one place in the Word of God, anywhere where Jesus ever taught anybody how to use their fists and hands to hurt somebody. It ain't in there. He didn't do that. He said that's to love people, did He not? So, so, I mean, you can stand up in a church and tell them, hey, this is not of God. And they, that happened to me. That's why I say this, the church I was going to. And I stood up and told them, I said, hey, this is not of God. And they said, no, Thurman, you're off out there in left field. I said, well, okay. Okay. You know, but I, I'm total disagreement with what y'all want to do with this group on Tuesday night in our church of having martial arts. But whenever I also stood up in the church and told them that they needed to stop having deacons in the church that were uh, Masonic Lodge members also, they really thought I was crazy there. You've really stepped over it now. I said, no. Again, that's of the devil. But guess what? God's still answering my prayer. But you don't see no miracles in those churches where those people are living like that. I'm telling you. You know, you cannot be a mason and 
be disobedient to God and see him do miracles for you. He's not going to do it. Now then, people will say, well, I don't believe there's nothing wrong with a Masonic Lodge. Well, if you don't, you don't know anything about it. You know, because they definitely teach another way of salvation. They, they go through the ritual of Hiram and Biff. i just make a little quick summary for those of you. Every once in a while, I need this on a tape for people to hear that will understand those of those men that are listening to these teachings that are Masons in church. They have been totally deceived because when you go through the ritual of Hiram Abiff, you are you go up to the Grand Master and he comes up knee to knee, toe to toe, and he leans over and whispers in your ear a name. Now, in the United States of America, one of two names he'll whisper in your ear. It's supposed to be secret, and nobody's never supposed to hear these names. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not bound by this devil, and those names are either Mahabon or Jebulon. Those are the two names that the average Masonic Lord uses today as the secret name of God. I never found that in the Bible, have you? Neither one of them. So that's a life in the pit of hell. That's not the name of God, but they tell you that's the name of God. And then they tell you it's top secret, and you ain't never to tell nobody this name. Never, under no conditions. And so the guy goes around the room, and this is the silliest thing I've ever seen adult males do. I mean, females would never do nothing this stupid. You know, they're smarter than us. But men, we're kind of dense. You know, here we go around the room, and everybody grabs this guy and starts shaking him and say, Give me the secret name of God. And he said, No, I can't. And they push him on to the next guy. And they go all the way around. If it's 50 guys in there, every one of them does it to him. Every one. Give me the secret name of God. they all been through it. They know what it is. You know, so why have them do You know? I mean, I'm t- just to tell you how stupid the devil is and how he's deceived men. And men are stupid enough to swallow this stuff. What I'm telling you is the truth. And then he gets all the way around the room. If it's a little lodge, it may only be eight or ten guys. If it's a big one, it may be 50 guys. But when he refuses to give the secret name of God, the last guy takes a great big hammer type deal and hits him in the head and symbolically kills him. And he falls dead on the floor. And then the grandmaster the worshipful grandmaster, and I have a problem with calling a human being a worshipful grandmaster. I ain't going to worship nobody but God. Definitely ain't going to worship no man. But the worshipful grandmaster comes up and lays a pure white lambskin over his middle and says, now this, something like this, I'll summarize it, something like this, now then, because you have been obedient to not give the secret name of God, you're now worthy to wear your white lambskin, and you're worthy to be raised from the dead and set with the great architect of the universe. Now, they don't care who you are. You can be a Muslim. You can be a Jew. You can be a Christian. You can be a nothing. And because you did that, you're going to go to heaven, and you're going to get to set with the great architect of the universe. I won't tell you what. There ain't nobody going to heaven except by the blood of Jesus. Nobody. So if you think... That that's not offensive to God, and you're a Christian, and you're listening to this teaching, and you've done that, you better get on your face and repent before God, because He is very upset with you and what you've done, worshiping and serving another God. So, and any man that's heard this or will hear this on this tape will have to know, I definitely know what I'm talking about. I have seen these things, I have read these things, I've studied their books, 
And I probably know more about the Masonic Lodge than the average Mason does because at least I've read their books. And the, the reason I know a little bit about the Bible is because I've read it too. Not once or twice, but lots of times. And people that come and say, well, I never read that in the Bible. Well, shame on you. See, that's what happens to these guys in the Masonic Lodge. They come in and they just take what somebody tells them and they go in. The very first thing, whenever they take you in and they strip all your clothes off of you almost, you're half naked, you're, they come in half dressed, they got a rope around your neck and they got a blindfold around you and you knock on the door and they say, who goes there? And you tell them, I am a blind, profane candidate seeking for the secrets of the universe. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you may be a blind, profane candidate. But if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be a blind, profane candidate seeking the hidden secrets of the universe. You're supposed to know where they come from. You're supposed to know God made the heavens and the earth. You're supposed to know the spiritual things because He gave you a book to explain it to you. But men that are Christians, that are deacons in churches, that are pastors in churches, that are worshiping another God. You want to know why there's no power in the church today? Because we do not do what this king says here. He says we're supposed to be obedient. I'm telling you, somebody said, you're offending me talking about the Masonic Lodge. Well, if you're offended by me telling you the truth about the Masonic Lodge, you need to get on your face and repent before God because you have offended God. Now, I'm not afraid of you or the Masonic Lodge, but I am afraid of my God. I'm definitely afraid of my king. I've researched this. I've checked it out. I've sat in meetings with men in churches, even pastors, and they tell me I, that I don't mean what I say. I said, well, you don't realize what God says in His Word in Matthew 12 when He said, I hold you responsible for every idle word you speak. I said, when you made those oaths and took those things and... You said that if you ever give out any of this information, you allow them to pierce your eyes out with a three-blade sword and cut your throat and bury you at low water tide if you, do, if you give these secrets. So help you God. What God? The God I serve. He ain't never going to make you re- make something like The God you're saying by, so if you got, you're taking an oath to the devil. You're taking an oath to the devil. So you want to know why there's so many people that's sick and afflicted in the church? Because there's so many Masons in the church. And let me tell you something. Do you know we have, I don't think we've had one single president in the last, maybe never, that has not been a Mason. All of them are Masons. Oh yeah. What you don't know is something else about what's going on. And you want to know why our country's in the shape it's in? These guys go to these lodge meetings and they do those in secret, but they would never go to a Christian meeting. I know men today that come to church. They would never teach a Sunday school class. They would never get involved. They won't stand up and worship God. But on whatever night, every week, they have that lodge meeting. Let me tell you, they're down there. And they're memorizing things to say. And they really put some effort into the Masonic Lodge. But are they willing to do anything for God? Oh, well, they come to church on Sunday, but that's all. And you want to know why they're sick and afflicted? I have your answer. It's in the Word. They have disobedient sons of God. 
In fact, they may not even be sons of God. I don't know. Only God knows for sure. But I know this son of God is not going to get involved in things like the Masonic Lodge. And for the women, there's an organization called the Eastern Star. And for children, it's called Rainbow Girls. It's all of the devil. Don't let your children get involved in the Rainbow Girls. Don't let your, don't get involved in the Eastern Star. Don't get involved with the Masonic Lodge. All those things is against what God says right here. And I'm telling you, you're worshiping another God. What did He say He'd do to you if you worship another God? He says He'll destroy you. You want to know why people are sick and afflicted in the church? Because they worship other gods. So, I'm just telling you, if you you want to be sick, go ahead and do it. Not only you be sick, but who else, if you worship other gods, who else besides you did He say He would destroy? Your children. Your children. Hey, I ain't going to... Yes, ma'am. Just a minute. Let me get a mic so you can ask the question so everybody can hear it. My father is still a practicing Mason, and there's no way that I can convince him otherwise. Oh, I know. When I, I'm the one that went to Biloxi and cleaned my mother's house. The primary thing that the, the Lord had me clean out was all Masonic documents. My mother was in the Eastern Star. My question is, I've noticed there's a certain level of harassment on my life that I can't seem to, no matter how much I read, pray, fast, worship. Can I be delivered from that curse? Sure. Absolutely. No, the thing, well, not that it cannot never come back on you, but whenever our parents are involved in those kind of things, you have to walk in a great level of faith. And you, you have, you have to claim every day those scriptures like Galatians 3, Galatians 3, 13 and 14, where it says, I'm redeemed from the curse because Christ redeemed me from the curse. Devil, I'm not going to let you torment me today. You may be hanging around my back door to come in today, but you're not going to do it. But see, if your parents are involved in these kind of things, and these devils that go with them are going to be there because of generational curses to do everything they can to torment you. So they got legal right. So that means you're going to have to fight harder. That means you're not going to be the normal little girl on the block that had a great loving mother and daddy that served God and was obedient to Him and went to church every time the door was open. That was wonderful men and women of God. Those kind of children live in an entirely different environment than the ones that their parents were totally disobedient. My father is that deacon. The person you described, that's my dad. My mother renounced it. But my father is a deacon and usher and he's very busy in the church, but he's practicing Mason. Now my mother's renounced it. Yeah. Well, I have seen it. In fact, I'm going to tell you. I have been in churches and talked to pastors and their masons. I mean, I've seen some. And do you know the average pastor, when you talk to them about being a mason? I said, well, I don't mean those things I say. I just go down there to see if I can be a witness. I'm telling you, that's got to be the biggest cover-up. I mean, you don't have to be a mason to be a great... In fact, I don't think you can be a great witness for God. I don't think you can build an empire on earth. I don't think you can build a church that will stay in the test if you continue to stay in the Masonic Lodge if you're a pastor. If you're a pastor or you're a deacon in a church and you're watching this tape right now, I'm going to tell you the best thing you can do right now is fall on your face and repent before God and tell Him how sorry you are that you put another God before Him. 
That's what you can do. And then break the curses over you and demand those devils that come with that curse to leave you and your children. Because you and your children are going to suffer tremendously. And if your children don't ever get to the point where they can understand these great promises, your children will die and be tormented prematurely as they're here on this earth because you were disobedient to serve the living God. It's awful, isn't it? It's awful what we do. I mean, but God, did God say in His Word, if you as the parents, if you'll be obedient and you'll worship me and you'll praise me and you do everything I do, I'll not only bless you, but I'll bless your children. Do you want your children to be blessed? Well, then guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to be an obedient parent. And see, the church today don't know what it means to be an obedient parent. I mean, the daddy. Men. I really got something to say to men. You know, men, we're something big. We send the woman, you know, she goes and takes the kids to church. Church is a woman thing. You know, I mean, I hear men say that. Me, go to a Bible study. I mean, give me a break. You know, Sunday school, I mean, yeah, I went when I was, until I was 12. But when I got 12, I got past that point. I don't need Sunday school no more. Well, let me tell you, you've listened to the devil. You've not listened to God. You need to get in that Word. If you, as the man of God, if you realize you're the priest over your home, and you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church, even willing to give your life for your woman. I mean, that's what God said. And then you're to love and, and, and teach and train your children the things of God. If you don't know the things of God, how are you going to train your children how to be Christians? Hey! If I walk up to you and say, quote me your favorite verse, and you can't even quote me one favorite verse, let me tell you, mister, you have failed miserably. Miserably. You've not done what God said. You have failed miserably. Now then, if you've got a few scriptures hidden in your heart, and you're going to church every time the doors open, and you're worshiping Him, and you're praising Him, and you're going to church, and you're tithing, you're doing everything God told you to do, and you're being an example to your children, and you don't never watch no dirty movies, you don't never watch no wild, stupid television, you don't never tell no dirty jokes around your children, you don't never, never let a word of profanity out of your mouth, you're just barely touching the tip of the iceberg. What God told you to do is a godly father, a godly man. But that's what God requires. And if the man don't do that, then the wife and the children are going to suffer. The woman is going to suffer. You know, she's not going to be able to enjoy the benefits. I mean, the man is held responsible. God holds the man responsible. Do you know that the, the king that we serve, he holds every man responsible for their wife's spiritual training and their children's spiritual training. He don't hold that woman responsible for that. He holds you as a man responsible to train your children and if you don't do it, one day you're going to stand before the king of kings and he's going to say, you didn't do what I told you to do. He's going to judge you for both good and bad. Everything you've done, you're going to stand in judgment before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I would hate to even stand before a real big dignitary today if I'd really messed up. I'd hate to stand before them, but I'd hold up rather stand before them than I had the king of kings. When I stand before the King of Kings, I want Him to say, 
You were not afraid of them down there. You taught them what I told you in my word. And since you taught them, and you didn't back up when they tried to throw you out of church and everything else. In fact, there's a man in this church, a good friend of mine, and he is a very godly man. And he loves God with all his heart. He's a gentle man. He's kind. He does good for people all over the place. I mean good. Two times in this last year. He comes here every Sunday. has for the last couple of years. But two times in the last year, this man's gone to a great church to speak. And the pastor there has stopped him during his message and told him he has to leave. He can't teach what he teaches. Because he's teaching the Word. Been thrown out. It breaks his heart every time it happens. But, isn't that amazing? You go to church and teach people what the Word says, and some of them don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Let me tell you, I had a lady write me a letter the other day, an email, and you could the smoke was, I mean, still on the email when I got it. She said, Thurman Scrivener, you need to stop teaching what you're teaching. You have ruined two people's lives in our church. She said, several of the people here got some of your teachings and said, you ruined their lives. I said, one of the women here, you've really ruined her life. Said, this woman, she was pretty well okay until she got a hold of your teaching. And then she found out her sin is what caused the problem with her child. And now she's so heartbroken, she don't even want to live anymore. She said, you've ruined her life. You've got to stop doing what you're doing. And I wrote back to her and said, ma'am, all i got to say, that woman should have heard my teaching before she sinned. Then she wouldn't have this problem. Because whether I teach it or not, God still holds you accountable. Yeah, it's still there, right, Cliff? It makes no difference whether I'm teaching what he says. God holds you and me accountable for every word in this book, whether you know it or not. So when I teach it and people hear it and they repent, at least it changes their life. It changes their life. And many people that get their life straightened up, they get healed. Many people that have been prayed for for years had never heard. It's your sin that's keeping you down. But I tell you, I'm not ashamed to tell you, it's your sin. I mean, you messed up. Who, me? I couldn't have messed up. Oh, yeah, let me tell you. You probably don't know the ways. I don't either. Some of the ways I've messed up. But I do know that when we repent and get our sins taken care of, I do know He then hears from heaven. And I think of how many people, I couldn't even name them all, that have got to repent of their sins. And do you know some of those people I didn't even get to pray for? When they repented, God just healed them right there. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. But when they repent and you get to pray for them, they get healed. And some of them had been sick 10, 20, and 30 years. No idea that my sin is what put me in this condition. Well, let me tell you, it's your sin. And it's so awful what happened. What happened? Someone asked how could they change. uh, So so it can be heard on the tape. Someone asked how it could be changed if the husband was not being the spiritual leader. How can you change that situation? Well, there's only one way that I know of you can change your husband. And let's go to the throne of grace and petition your father to change your husband. Because you can't change your husband. Only God can change a man. We Go to the third heaven. 
You know, for guys, we're a pretty dense lot. We think we know everything. See, women already know this. Right, ma'am? Yeah, sure. When she started laughing, I knew she knew. You know, I mean, all you got to do is have a man and you know the truth. Because we're all made just exactly alike. We think we know all the answers. It's tough. That's why there's so many women that are not married today because the husbands, you know, the husbands thought they knew everything and they wasn't willing to listen to the woman at all. Now, you need to listen to her, but after you listen to her, then you need to make the decision. The decision's still yours. You know, you at least need to listen. You need to listen to what your wife says and then don't make an instantaneous decision because you cannot calculate all the materials she'll give you instantly like she can. I'm serious, guys. It's a fact. Our right and left brain link is severed. Every man has that problem. And so you cannot commute and, and, and uh, commute, uh, communicate the information between right and left brain anywhere close to fast as your wife can. She, women are different. You know? And so men, when our wife tells us something, think about it, pray about it, let God work on it. You know, and after you get the, before you think you're hearing God, then make the final decision. And then women, when your husband makes a decision, go with his decision. And then if he's wrong, don't come back and say, I told you so, you should have done what I said. Well, that don't make him happy and that'll cause a divorce. You have the right to tell him what you want and have him listen to you. But then when he makes a decision, if it's not the one you wanted... And if it was wrong, then don't say nothing. God's going to hold him responsible, not you. He's going to hold him responsible. So you don't have to worry. The pressure is not on you. It's on him. And, uh, and he don't need you beating him down too. Because God's going to be enough. He can take care of it. But if you, his wife, are beating him down too, you need to just be quiet. You know, that's when the Word of God says... The Word of God says, study to learn how to be quiet. And I know a lot of women that need to study to learn how to be quiet. Because if they had been quiet, they'd still be married. You know, but they wasn't quiet. They wanted to do it their way instead of God's way. And so that's why many of you don't have a husband today. Because your husband didn't like you telling him what to do. So, after you... Tell him what to do in a loving way. You let him communicate that information. And when he makes a decision, just praise him. And if he makes a bad decision and things go bad, don't come back and say, I told you so. You know, say, I'm praying for you, honey, that the Lord will help you. I mean, what I'm telling you all is the truth. You know? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, always you women don't ever try to tell your husband what to do. If if you have not realized yet that God made that man a certain way, and you cannot change him. You know, I mean, some of you girls say, "Well, he's not what I want right now. He don't do this." But I know once I marry him, then he'll listen to me. Well, let me tell you, if y'all don't know that answer by now, let me clue you in. If he don't do it for you before you get married, he's certainly not going to do it for you after he marries you. That's just not going to happen. Once he gets you tied in in this circle, this covenant of marriage, 
If he was not good to you before, he sure ain't going to be good to you now. You know, that, so don't think you can change him. So if you hadn't got one that is perfect before you marry him. I mean, Cheryl, she said, before I married Thurman, I thought he was perfect. She said, I married him, and then I found out he wasn't perfect. So, so see, I mean, I got problems and flaws like everybody else. See? So, but she found out that I was not perfect. You know, but I found out she wasn't perfect either, see. She may be a whole lot closer to being perfect than I am, but she ain't perfect either. You know, so nobody is perfect. And we need to realize that. And that's why we need to work together and love together and play together. And, and you know, when you do that, you, life, life, married life can be lots of fun if you learn these things and you work together. It can be lots of fun. For those of you that are married, that have learned these things, you enjoy living with your mate. I mean, you know, Cheryl and I have a great time. We just, we just have a great time together. Don't we, honey? Yes. <laughs> I was like, whoa! I thought for a minute she wasn't going to answer that. I thought, whoa! It's just that we, we have a great time, but I know how to go to the service. Oh, yeah, she does. Yeah, when I don't do what she wants, she learn, has definitely learned how to take me to the third heaven. And, and the Lord has learned to move. But, I mean, it, it really is. We, we do have a lot of fun. You know, we go lots of places and we do have lots of fun. But once in a while we do have to hit a little bump in the road, too, you know. So every once in a while something don't go just exactly right, don't please her right or don't please me right or whatever. And if I want a bump in the road, all I got to do is get up in the morning and wake her up at 9 or 10 and say, Hi, honey, how you doing? And there's a bump in the road. You know, she don't want to be woken up at 9 when she goes to bed at 3. You know, so I don't understand why, but, you know, that's just the way she is. So I've learned, don't wake her up in the morning. Just get up and crawl out of bed, go get a shower, and go to work. Leave her there. Let her wake up when she does. She is a wonderful little ball of fire. You know, she comes running over. We have a great time. So, but anyway, you have to learn what makes your mate tick. And you can't change them. You can't change them. You've got to learn how to do it God's way. Now then, back, I don't know how we got off on all that. <laughs> But we somehow, somehow we got off on all of this. We were in 1 Samuel chapter 12. I forget what verse even. I think verse 18. Yeah, verse 18. So Samuel called to the Lord and sent thunder and rain, and all the people were terrified of the Lord and of Samuel. Now, not, not only were they terrified of the Lord, but they were terrified of Samuel. Why are people afraid of men of God? You know, real men of God, people are afraid of. So many people are afraid of men of God. Why? Because they realize you're connected to Him. And if they do anything to you, something might happen. You know, it's amazing. Then he says, because the people were terrified of the Lord and of Samuel. Then they said, pray to the Lord your God for us or we will die. They cried out to Samuel, for now we have added to our sins by asking for our king. Then he says in verse 20, Don't be afraid, Samuel reasoned with them. You have certainly done wrong. But make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart and that you don't turn your back on Him in any way. Now, if you've offended God today as a born-again Christian, do we have to run off and hide somewhere in fear? No, praise God. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can come and say, Lord, I messed up. 
I made a mistake. Yeah, maybe I asked for something stupid or maybe I went out and did something wrong. Maybe I said something wrong. Maybe I hadn't been going to church. Maybe I hadn't been tithing. Maybe I hadn't been doing any of these things. But Lord, please forgive me. Will He forgive you? Sure He will. But what does He tell you to do? Start doing what's right. Start going to church. Start tithing. Start worshiping Him on a regular basis. Don't go back to your old wicked ways. Because that's sin again. And that will really bring on something serious. And it will bring sickness and disease to your house. If, you don't wor- if you're a Christian and you don't worship and praise God, if you do not worship and praise Him, I guarantee it will bring tormenting spirits into your life that you will not like. You will bring them in. You know, you cannot live the abundant life outside of worshiping of the King. You cannot. You know, it will not happen. It's that these people couldn't do it either. And then in verse 21, he says, Don't go back to worshiping those worthless idols. In other words, how often do we do those kind of things? I mean, we come to church, somebody prays the prayer of faith for us, and we get healed or whatever. And man, we go back, right back out the next thing. We go back instead of tithing, we go back and keep our money and go buy lottery tickets with it. Hoping we're going to hit a million. God says, don't buy lottery tickets. That's gambling. He says, you want to be blessed? Give your money to me. Find somebody on the street that needs something. Give to the poor and the needy. Of course, God, first thing He tells, He tells you, wherever you go to church, you are to tithe. You are to give him the first 10%. Then he says, if you'll give to the poor and the needy as you see them on the streets, he said, I will repay you with good interest when you give to the poor and the needy. But he says, if you'll give, wherever it is, he said, give and it shall be given unto you. This is a principle of the new covenant. Give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall man give into your bosom, because with the same measure you use to give... Shall it be returned unto you? Luke six thirty eight and on. So, if people say, well, I'm not going to be a tither. Okay. Be cursed. It's your choice. God gives you the privilege. But I ain't going to go there. You know, I, I, I told y'all, some of y'all, uh, here a while back, well, it's been over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I went and spoke to a big church in this metroplex. On a Saturday morning, and there was a hundred plus elders, teachers, deacons, and pastors. They had 30 pastors in that church. It's a big church. I spoke in that church from 9 o'clock that morning till 2 o'clock that afternoon with a 15-minute lunch break. And I didn't get to eat because everybody was wanting to talk to me. After teaching five hours, when I got ready to leave that day, they gave me a donation from that church for my five hours, $5,000. I'm telling you, that's not bad, $1,000 an hour. You know, I never did make that kind of money in the secular world. (laughs) Never did. But that next week I took, I didn't tithe. $5,000, what is the tithe off of $5,000? Five hundred dollars, right? No, 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 no. I took four thousand of the five thousand and sent it on to another ministry. Four thousand of the five thousand I immediately put in the bank and wrote a check and sent it to another ministry. And you know how much money came into my ministry the next thirty days? 
$40,000. Does it pay good dividends to do it God's way? I'm telling you. You can't outgive the king. Now, I could have given $500, and I could have been blessed on $500. And maybe 5000 more would have come in, because that's all God required was 10% of that 5000 But I gave four of the five. And so he poured out a blessing upon me, and that next month was the biggest month the ministry had ever had. $40,000 worth of money came into the ministry. To pay all of our bills, to buy everything we needed, it just took us over the top. Yeah. You can't outgive God. But you know, when I first looked at that, I said, "Lord, wow! They gave me five thousand dollars for speaking one morning in one church." I said, "What a blessing!" And I thought, I put all that in the bank. And of course, it's ministry money. I don't take a salary from the ministry. I put it all in the ministry bank account. And I said, "Lord, how much of that should I pass on?" And he didn't say a word. I can just hear him now saying, Son, that's up to you. What do you want to give me? I said, Lord, I love you so much. I'm going to give you four of the $5,000 and we'll send it to another ministry. And so I wrote him a check and sent it to him. And he says, Good. I'm watching and I'm keeping record. Wow. Within the next 30 days... $40,000 came into the ministry mall. Ever The mail, we come, it was just awesome, the checks that came in that month. Isn't that amazing, Sharon, how all that works? Given it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall man give into your bosom. Because with the same measure you use to give, will it be given unto you. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive the king. So that's just like the other day when I said, Lord, we want to build our own church now. I've got the land. I'll donate the land to the ministry. But Lord, it's going to take some money to build this building. And a parking lot and everything else. And already one man, one man has given us a donation to start on this church of enough money to buy the building and to pour the slab. One man has donated that, that money to us. So we're going to get started. Hopefully, by the first part of June... We're going to get started. I'm going to start grading the land off. I'm going to have the land surveyed off out there. I'm going to put it in the ministry. Then I'm going to get a, a grader, motor grader of some kind out there to grade off the land, everything. And we're going to get ready to build us a church at Justin. We're going to have us a building. Not going to be a great big one, but we're going to start out with about a 6,000 square footer. That's a whole lot bigger than this, you know. But uh, I already did, I worked on the drawings last night. That's part of the things I was working on last night. And I think I'm going to have two handicapped bathrooms. Of course, now I don't have any handicapped bathrooms out there. But I realize when I get that church, I will need. So I'm going to put two big rooms for handicapped bathrooms. And, and I'm going to put eight other bathrooms, which means that will be ten. And then one in the nursery, which is eleven. So that means I'll have eleven bathrooms in, in that building. You know, so therefore, hopefully nobody will have to wait in two. Right now we got two here. You know, praise the Lord. That's right. So, we're going to see, like right now, we're adding three more bathrooms to the ministry center. You know, so we're going to have those going before too long. And we're getting there. We've got the floor down, the walls done. We've got the stool set. We've got the ceiling put in. And we're slowly getting there. But hopefully it won't be long. You know, uh, we were fixing to set the hot water heater today and everything. So, we are slowly getting there.
You know, God is providing all the resources to do all the things we need. And we are so grateful to the king. Now then, let's go to Job 36. Let's go to Job 36. We'll hit, maybe we're going to get out of the Old Testament tonight. We just, this is the last set of scriptures before we go to the book of Acts. Job chapter 36, verse 5. And like I say, as I read all these in the Living Bible, I thought these were so great. But still, they say the same thing in your King James or whatever version you use. But these are all NLT. The NLT is so easy to read. Job 36, verse 5. God is mighty. I mean, I love that. When I read that, I thought, wow, He is mighty. God is mighty. Yet, yet He does not despise anyone. Wow. And no matter what we do, He doesn't despise me. Wow, praise God. He is mighty in both power and understanding. I mean, yeah, I mean, like the Big Bang Theory that everybody's talking about 13.4 billion years ago. They're thinking that now the universe came into existence. I don't know when it came into existence, but all I know is God said and it happened. Now, I don't know if it was 7,000 years ago or 10 billion years ago or 100 billion years ago, but I know how it came into existence. The king made it, you know, and he sustains it every day. So when people try to tell you about, well, what do you think about the cosmos? How did it come into existence? Oh, it was quite simple. Jesus said, and it happened. That should be your answer. You know, don't try to rationalize or think. God said in His Word, He spoke, and everything happened. So, He made it in six days, and then He rested the seventh. Verse 6 in Job 36 says, He does not let the wicked live. Did you hear what that said? He does not let the wicked live. So, you want to know why so many people that are wicked die so young? You want to know why people are out here doing all these stupid things and it costs them their life when they're so young? But yet here's a promise. He does not let the wicked live, but he gives great, but he gives justice to the afflicted. In other words, if you get afflicted for some reason and you're walking holy in obedience to his word, he gives justice to the afflicted. He says in verse 7, his eyes never leave the innocent. His eyes never leave the innocent. But he establishes and exalts them with kings forever. I mean, does it pay good dividends to be obedient to serve the king? I think so. Verse 8, if trouble comes upon them, if trouble, and I guarantee trouble will come upon you because the devil, if you're a child of God, he hates you and he's going to do everything he can to try, to try you to get you to do something wrong. But it says, if trouble comes upon them, and they are enslaved and afflicted. And how many people do you know that does happen to? He takes the trouble to show them the reason. Listen to what he's saying. He's understanding with you. He's kind. He's gentle. He takes the trouble to show them the reason. He shows them their sins, for they have behaved proudly. He gets their attention and says they must turn away from evil. Now, when people come to a healing school and I teach them all these principles, what is God doing? He's doing exactly what He said right there. I'm teaching you in a healing school what brings sickness and disease. I'm trying to find out what your sickness is or what your sin is. I'm trying to get you to repent of your sin. And when you do, what does God do for you when we pray for you? He heals you. Of course He does. 
And see, right here in the book of Job, in the Old Testament, he tells us what he's doing. He loves you. He does not want you to be sick and afflicted. He says, whenever you're afflicted and enslaved, he takes the trouble to show you the reason why you're sick and afflicted. Now, how are you going to learn these kind of things? You are not going to learn it going to a doctor. That doctor has no idea why you're sick. The average doctor, I don't care if he's a Christian doctor, the average doctor has no idea that people are sick because of sin. But it's all over this book. Everywhere you read in this book, it's all over here. We've read many of them tonight. He says, He shows them their sins, for they have behaved proudly. In verse 10, He gets their attention and says they must turn away from evil. Now, if you turn away from evil and you repent of your sins and you got somebody who can pray the prayer of faith for you, you can get healed. How many times do we see that? Many of you in this room have received a healing just like that. Then in verse 11, if, oh man, these words, if, if they listen and obey God, then they will be blessed with prosperity throughout their life. Now, I like that, don't you? Ooh, I like to have a good bed to come home to at night. I think about these people I see down here on the street corners. Every once in a while, I'll give one of them some money or something. But how would you like to be one of those? How would you like to be a homeless person? Has no place to sleep. No money to go. I mean, you can't even imagine that, can you? I mean, you're just like me. You go get in your beautiful car, and you go home, get in your beautiful home. You get in your beautiful bed. You go with your wonderful husband, and everything you need, you're blessed with it. You can't even imagine what it would be to be like that. And we don't want to go there either, do we? But see, the reason you're blessed is the same reason I'm blessed. Because we, as a family, serve the living God. So He blesses us. That's exactly why we're blessed. And each one of you in here that are blessed, that's what you're doing. You're serving the living God. Then He says, if they li-, in verse 11, if they listen and obey, God will... Then they will be blessed with prosperity throughout all their lives. All their years will be pleasant. I mean, I like that, don't you? Oh, I like to have good life and long life and good days. I don't like to be tormented. It says, but, verse 12, but if they refuse to listen to him, they will perish in battle and die from lack of understanding. You really think God means all these things? Then why is it that so many people won't believe Him? Why is it the church won't even believe Him? Isn't it? I mean, this is, in, this is in the Bible, isn't it? So, if, how many of you in here tonight that's in here tonight want to be blessed? Do you, did you, have you gotten the picture tonight so far of what you've got to do to be blessed? What is, the, what is the simple words to get God to bless you? Obey. obey and do what He said. Read His Word. Worship Him. Praise Him. Don't be ashamed. I mean, you're walking down the street. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of times I'm driving down the highway, especially for Cheryl and I got married when it was just me. You know, I mean, just me. I mean, of course, we prayed a little coming over here tonight. Not much, but just a little. 
But used to, I'd be driving down the road and I'd just get so caught up in worshiping God, I might be driving down the road with both hands up in the air. And I'd have my knee against the steering wheel to hold it steady. I said, Lord, I want to praise you and worship you and thank you. And people drive by and say, what? what's wrong with that guy? They have no idea where I was. But I was lost in love and worship with the king. And when you're worshiping and praising the king, what do you say he'll do for you? Don't you like that? Woo, I love it. I love it. You know, that's just like tonight. I'm going to tell you, talk about being blessed. I wore this coat on, evidently on the 15th or 16th of January. the last time I wore this jacket. Tonight I got it out and put it on. I normally don't wear a coat to Bible study, but it's cool tonight. I got it out when it did. For some reason, I put my hand in my pocket. Piece of paper in there. I pulled it out. And I don't know whether somebody had handed me a check or they walked by and put it in my pocket. But there was a check dated the 16th or 15th of January in my coat pocket for $100. I didn't even know it was in there. <laughs> Evidently, somebody walked by and thought, well, I want to bless TLSM or I want to bless Thurman. And he made, filled out a check. He didn't tell me about it, but he dropped it in his coat pocket. Hey, if you're going to bless me, at least tell me, you know. <laughs> Don't just drop it in my coat pocket or don't walk up stick it in my, don't walk up and, and make out like you're patting me on the chest and drop a check in my, cause I may not check the pockets. <laughs> and just like I didn't, I got home, took the coat off, hung it up, and I pulled, took it off today. This has been February and March, that's two months ago, and that check was in that pocket for a hundred dollars. I thought, gee, isn't that amazing? <laughs> that's the one? Well, the reason I didn't cash it because I didn't know it was there. <laughs> but if it's okay with him, we're going to cash it now. You know, we're going to put it in the bag tomorrow. <laughs> or a Friday, I mean. Yeah, we'll, we'll call him first. Since he's two months old, we'll call him and make sure that he hasn't put a stop payment on it or something. But... You know, if you want to bless somebody, bless them where they'll know it. Don't walk up and just drop it in their coat or something. But anyway, the Lord will bless you with prosperity if you'll just be obedient. I mean, He'll just bless your socks off. You know, and He has done that. All our years will be pleasant. But if they refuse to listen to Him, they will perish in battle and die from lack of understanding. For the godless are full of resentment. Even when he punishes them, they refuse to cry out to him for help. They die young after wasting their lives in immoral living. A lot of people meet that criteria today, don't they? A lot of young people that are out there living immoral. And one day when they die at 30 or 40, or get killed in a car wreck, or die with a venereal disease, or whatever they die with, they're going to say, God, why me? HIV. You know, I can stop HIV. All they got to do is stop sinning. Here we are spending millions and billions of dollars trying to find the cure for HIV. I got it. It's in the Word. Stop sinning. And you get healed. Guarantee it. No problem. God has the answer to everything. But we just won't listen to it. But He says there, even when he punishes them, they refuse to cry out to him for help. That sound just like the world? And sometimes it's even the church. The church, when we start suffering, we go to doctors and do everything else and never ask God to heal us. Don't even think about it. 
We don't realize he's there. He's a healer. But if you hadn't been taught, you don't know. See, I mean, I, I, I was there. I was, I was in church, but nobody ever taught me Jesus answered prayer. I mean, not really. We prayed, but I didn't expect to see him do anything. And I sure didn't think he was a healer. So, you know, when my mother and dad both got sick and afflicted, I didn't even have enough knowledge to even pray for them. Isn't that a shame? You sit there and watch them suffer. And you wonder, is there anything I could do? Yeah, let me tell you. There's something you could do. But because of my stupidity and my lack of knowledge of God's Word, I didn't know what to do. So now then that I'm learning what to do, I'm trying to make up for lost time. Trying to make up for lost time. He says here in verse 15, But by means of their suffering, He rescues those who suffer, for He gets their attention through adversity. Well, let me tell you. You you want me to tell you how to not have adversity? Worship and praise the King and read His Word every day of your life. And you won't have to get your attention because you've already got it, right? And that's the best way. I I don't never won't have to be healed from nothing ever again. Do you? It's so much better to walk in divine health. I'd rather walk in divine health, never have to need a prayer, you know, just be obedient to worship and praise and love the King and spend that quiet time with the King. I mean, you know, man, spending time with God, walking with Him and being obedient to Him and hear, get to hear His voice and studying His Word and all these wonderful things, putting God first. And then He says, I will watch over you. I will protect you and your children. And no sickness and disease will come near your dwelling place. I like that promise. So, what do we got to do? Worship and praise the King. In Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're just going to get a little ways in the New Testament tonight. We're nearly out of time. But Acts 5.29. Acts 5.29. Again, this is the NLT. But Peter and the apostles replied. Now, we've been talking in the Old Testament about obeying God. Is that what we've been saying? Let's see what he says. We come over to the New Testament in the book of Acts. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In verse... 29 of Acts 5, Peter, one of the apostles, replied, We must obey God rather than human authority. Who are we supposed to obey under the new covenant? God. Absolutely. We're supposed to obey God. They had, You know what they had just told Peter not to do? In Acts chapter 4, Peter had just raised a man up that had been crippled for years. The man couldn't walk. He was sitting at the gate, beautiful. And he come up and Peter says, the man says, money, money, I need some money. Peter said, I don't have no money. But I got some whole lot better money. I got the power of God in me. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And that man looked up at him and said, what? Peter just reached in and grabbed him by the hand. He said, I said, in the name of Jesus, get up. And he jerked that demon right out of him. And he got up and that man went to, his legs were strong and he went to running around praising God, running up down the steps of the temple and everybody was praising God for what God had done through Peter. And then the church leaders, the pastors and the deacons and the elders, they brought Peter and John in and said, how did you do this? 
He said, if you think it was done by our righteousness or our holiness, let it be known it was done by faith in the name of Jesus. They said, you did this by faith in the name of Jesus? You healed this man? He said, yes. He said, don't you ever do this again. You stop speaking in this name. Doesn't that sound just like a group of preachers? That's not serving God? Now, if you've got a group of preachers that's serving God, they're rejoicing for what God's doing. But there's some of them out there that they're not happy about these things. If you don't believe that, all you got to do is go with me. When I went to Big Sandy and spoke two days, seeing God do awesome miracles, and they took me completely off of that complete circuit. Who do you think come against me? Preachers and PhDs. The people loved what I said. 3,000 people out there that day. And Jesus, in the two days, I didn't count them, but James Cronin did. And he said, in the two days, in the two hours and 35 minutes that I spoke, Jesus got 13 standing ovations. Isn't that awesome? And God healed no telling how many people. Miracles. And Bill Gothard told me, eight, ten months, even a year later, they were still getting praise reports of people that got healed or set free while I was speaking down there. And it's amazing. But yet today, in fact, one week after that, you could not buy. If you bought that set of CDs that come from that teaching, mine were taken out. You couldn't buy them. They wouldn't let you have them. But we got them back there. No problem. We give them away to you anytime you want them. We got them. In fact, I had a man the other day. He said, I told that story in church. He said, you got them back there? I said, sure. He said, what are they? I told him. He went back. He said, I'm going to listen to those. He come back the next Sunday and he said, good grief, Thurman. No wonder they threw you out of church. I said, what do you mean? He said, them's two of the most anointed CDs I ever heard in my life. Well, now you know why they didn't want me there. God's power and how to get a lost person saved. Yeah. God's power and how to get a lost person served at Big Sandy. Saved. Yeah, how to get a lost person saved. That's the one I taught the second day. In fact, that one, I know that had to be anointed because at 4 o'clock in the morning, the second morning, God woke me up and told me, Son, I want you to give this message today. And He told me exactly what to say. And so that's what we titled it, How to Get a Lost Person Saved. But I had been asked to speak on something else, but I couldn't speak on something else because the king, he overrides everybody else. When he tells you what to do, you just do what he says. And man. So anyway, those are the two teachings that's back there that we did down there. And he's, the Lord says here, it says, so we must obey God rather than human authority. Now see, the Lord told us to take his name and cast out devils and heal the sick, didn't he? The Lord told us as children of God, in fact, I got a, a, one of the pastors I called today, he said, I've got to have you pray for this woman in my church. She's got a leukemia demon, and I've never come against such a big demon. He said, I've been to your church a couple of times. I've heard you teach. And he said, they didn't teach me in seminary. I could cast out demons and lay hands on the sick. But he said, when I got over there and you taught it, he said, I saw it. And he said, I want you to know, Brother Thurman, I have had great results in my church by casting out demons and laying hands on the sick. I said, praise God. Oh, don't you love it? I love it when another pastor gets a hold of these things and calls me back with a praise report like that. I love it. Don't you, Eldon? We love serving the king. Then he says, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by crucifying him. Verse 31, 
Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this to give the people of Israel an opportunity to turn from their sins and turn to God so their sins would be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey Him. The Holy Spirit is given to who? Those who obey Him. What if you don't obey Him? You ain't going to get the power of the Holy Ghost. You know, He's not going to give you that power if you're not willing to be obedient to serve the living God. But if you are willing to put Him first, read His Word and study His Word, and then ask in faith, He will give you the Holy Spirit. Now then, once you ask for it, do you ever have to ask for it again? Sure, sure you do. He goes away. I mean, in the book of Acts, they got filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues and prophesied and done all kinds of things. And it wasn't just a few days there up there in the upper room praying again. Lord, fill us with the Holy Ghost. And what happened after a few days of praying? It says the room was shaken. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and they went out and did great and mighty works in the name of Jesus. Why do you think we don't have any power in the church? When's the last time you've been in an all, just an all-night prayer meeting? Most people never have been. When's the last time you've been in a prayer meeting praying for the Holy Ghost to fill you for two hours? When have you ever got at home and got on your face before God and spent all night on your knees praying to God and asking Him to use you mightily? You say, I've never done that. Well, that's why you don't have any power. I don't know how many times I've done that. I have no idea how many times I went to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning praying and lay there for an hour and get up and go in the bathroom, get on my face and stay there. In fact, I have been on my knees before God for hours and hours like that. Do you think He likes that? Absolutely He likes that. So when you go in and spend that kind of time, you know, and you, you get prayed up like that, and then I love it when I get prayed up like that and I worship and praise the King. And then when I go, like I did to Louisiana, down to uh, Manny uh, a couple of years ago, when that little woman, I don't even remember her name, had come up with the Norma. Yeah, sure, I remember her name. Norma came up. She was shaking. She had Parkinson, wasn't it? Or Parkinson and lupus. And I said, what's wrong with you? And, of course, I'd prayed up and I'd drift, driven five hours to get there and I'd worshiped and praised the King all the way down and then I taught the Word of God two hours and this girl Norma come down the aisle and she said, I have Parkinson's and lupus. And I reached up and put my hand on her shoulder and I said, in the name of Jesus. And guess what happened? She was instantly healed of everything. The hand stopped shaking. She said, whoa, this is awesome. And, of course, I didn't know the lupus went away till later she went back to a doctor and found out there was no lupus either. But I went from right there, seeing that miracle, to right here, where Eldon's sitting right here, and a man sitting there with two big steel braces on his leg. And I said, what's wrong with you? He said, 21 months ago, a tree fell across my legs and crushed them, and I hadn't walked a step in 21 months. And I said, Jesus said in John 14:13, anything under this new covenant we ask the king in the name of Jesus, he'll do. I said, do you believe that? He said, I do. I knelt down in front of him on my knees, laid my hands on his knees. I said, Father... In the name of Jesus, I ask you to make those knees like brand new. I mean, he just told me they was crushed. And he, the doctor said he ain't never going to walk again. But that don't affect me. That don't affect me at all. I know the King of Kings. 
And I knelt there and prayed that prayer of faith for him. I said, now do you believe that promise? He said, I do. I said, take that steel off and stand up and walk. And he took that steel off and throwed it away. And I reached down and got him by the hand, picked him up. And he said, oh, it hurts. I said, I know the devil will make it hurt. Don't you believe him? I said, come on, take a step. I give him a jerk. He took a step. And after he took three steps, I said, you're on your own. He walked around the podium three times, broke down that aisle, run to back, screaming, God is awesome. And today that man's completely, totally well. His name is Johnny Brumfield. What does God do when we're obedient? Do what He says? Glory to God. Did you want to know why we, you want to know why we like to worship and praise the King? I love to see Him do those kind of things. Don't you, Cliff? I don't get to see Him do near enough of them, but obviously I don't spend enough time with Him. You know, I need to spend more time with the King, and that's what my honey, when he keeps telling me, you need to spend more time with the King. (laughs) I know that. I know that. But she keeps reminding me. Praise God for a good woman. Keeps reminding me what I need to do. She said, your anointing needs to increase. I'm praying for your anointing to increase. And she said, you need to spend more time with the King. So she knows when I spend time with the King, she knows what happens. Miracles happen. I love to see God answer prayer like that. Don't you? Ooh, glory to God. I mean, that little woman was healed of lupus and Parkinson and everything instantly that night. And then Johnny Brumfield, that deacon, uh, I think he was a deacon, of a Baptist church, and they brought him over there, and God instantly healed two crushed knees. Woo! Is God still in the business of doing miracles? Yes, He's still in the business of doing miracles, and I love to see Him do them. You know, it's just... And, of course, next time I went down there, the priest sure went with me. I went, we wasn't married the first time. But the second time I went, she was with me. And she got to meet Johnny and his wife and family and, and everything. Yeah. And Norma, she got to meet Norma and, and got to see all these stories I tell. You know, she got to see them. Johnny come walking in there just, I mean, how are you doing, Johnny? Fantastic. Hadn't walked a step in 21 months. Oh, don't we love to see God answer a prayer like that, Eldon? Oh, glory to God. Lord, it's 9 o'clock. We've just barely got into the book of Acts. We'll have to start in Romans next week. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank You for this time where we can study Your Word. These promises under the New Covenant are literally out of this world. If we'll just obey You and worship You and praise You and thank You, Lord, You will do great and mighty things beyond our wildest dreams. But Lord, help us this week to walk totally in obedience to Your Word, to read Your Word and worship You and praise You and thank You. So, Lord, we can be obedient Christians so You can put that power of the Holy Spirit upon us as Your children today so You can do these great and awesome things so everybody will know that You live, Lord. Lord, if all of us would start doing these kind of things and we would walk where You want us to walk so You could live through us and do those kind of miracles through every one of us, it wouldn't be long. The whole world would know that You were alive. Lord, thank You, Father. Thank You for the Word. Thank You for blessing us tonight with the Word. And we praise You and thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Glory to God.